Are you ready? Welcome to the Anxious Ape Podcast. Unbelievable! Bridge the gap with different perceptions on anxiety, mental health, with both your everyday humans and your well-known social media figures. And now your host, Alan Jeffrey. Thanks for joining me for today's show. Before we begin, please can you take a second to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by AJ's Gym Peterborough and AJPT Personal Training. If you're looking to get fit in a high-level private PT studio, please get in touch. On today's episode, we talk to Holly Randall. Chances are there's porn videos you watch online. She has directed them. We talk all things behind the scenes in the porn world, a crazy journey to where she is now, interesting, relatable topics, and also her mental health experiences. Enjoy. So for those that don't know, never heard of you over here in England, uh-huh. 2013 is pretty big for you, isn't it? Um, named most influential woman or one of in the adult industry, that's, it doesn't really get any bigger than that, does it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, it's funny hearing like all your accolades in one little soundbite. But um, yeah, so my name is Holly Randall. I have been in the working in the adult industry for over 25 years now. Um, I was kind of raised in the industry, for lack of a better term. My mother is Suze Randall, who's English, and um, she was kind of like a pioneer for women working behind the camera in the adult industry. And so I started off working for her, and um, uh, here I am 25 years later. Nice. So reading a bit about you before, I mean, so would you say you kind of ended up in the industry based on your mom? Because I knew you started off to help her out, didn't you? And then... Yeah, for sure. I think there's no denying the fact that I probably wouldn't been, be in the adult industry if it wasn't for my parents. Yeah. And so how, when you first got involved with your mom, what was the journey, say, from then up to how you ended up getting uh, named one of the most influential people in the industry? So um, I started working for my mom when I was 20. Um, this was back in 1998. Um, and the internet was just like kind of becoming a big thing. My mom had launched her website, Suze.net, which was an adult website um, featuring only photos at the time because the bandwidth was very expensive and the speed wasn't fast enough for video, right? So photos were the thing and she was a photographer. So I started working for her, not really thinking that that's where I was going to stay. I thought it was kind of a transitional period for me. Um, And I just found that I really, I liked the environment that my mom had kind of like cultivated over the years. You know, she had been, at that point, she had been working in the adult industry. I mean, I was born when she was working at Hustler magazine. My birth was actually announced in the magazine, which is kind of funny. Um, so she had been working in the in the adult industry for, say, like 30 years or something like that um, at that point. And so I just really, you know, she she was able, especially with the advent of the Internet, to be able to shoot whatever she wanted. She had like a mostly female um, staff. She created this beautiful kind of glamorous content. And we had a lot of creative freedom. I really liked the people in the industry. I liked the models and uh, I just ended up never leaving. And so I worked for her for probably eight years or something like that, you know, like slowly learning from her and she would kind of like feed me shoots. I started shooting, 
And then I saw that video was really starting to progress. And so I started pushing towards shooting more video, which she really didn't want to do. She was a photographer at art, even though she'd shot some movies back in the day. And, um, you know, like as it happens with family, um, we just butted heads a lot. And uh, I kind of wanted to move forward with where I saw the technology was going and she was kind of happy where she was. And so I split off from her, started my own company. I think that was in 2008 and um, started my own website, started shooting for other companies and, you know, did that for many, many years and then uh, started a podcast. This is like five years ago, I think. And um, yeah, that's, and then ended up where I am here today. It's been been a long journey. Nice. So going back to like when you first started out then, bearing in mind, like yes, say 99.9% of the everyday humans, most moms like, you know, have like a regular job, you know, like work in a supermarket or sales or, you know, something what most people would deem as normal. Mm. Do you think that like with what your mom was doing when you was growing up, you know, was you a little bit like what are you doing? Or like, or did you just naturally kind of fall? Do you see what I mean? Did you fall into it, or how was yeah, it introduced to you what she does? You know, my my parents were never ashamed of what they did for a living, um, and so that didn't translate into you know anything about their job. Like, obviously, it was understood that it wasn't appropriate for me to you know look at it or view their work when I was a child. My earliest understanding of it was, you know, mommy and daddy make movies and photos for grownups and you're not a grownup. So like, this is not for you. And when you're a kid, you don't really care too much about what your parents do for a living, right? Like it's not, that's not important or interesting to you. Um, of course, as I started to get older and hit puberty, it became more interesting to me. But I mean, my parents, you know, really like raised me with so much love and attention. I had such a good childhood. Um, you know, we're still all very close, my siblings as well. And so like, there was the understanding that I needed to be careful about who I told what I did for a living because the reaction of other people could be negative, you know, parents, friends, um, sorry, friends, parents, et cetera, et cetera. But I never felt, I don't know, I never felt ashamed about what they did for a living because they never felt ashamed about what they did for a living and they didn't lie to me and they didn't like really hide it from me. So I wasn't raised with that that sense of shame and weirdness around sexuality that so many people are that would cause them to have weird hangups about porn. Yeah, so I guess from a young age then, porn essentially to you was not normalized, but you see, I mean, in regards to or compared to say like your everyday kid growing up to a certain extent. Yeah, it was it was a form of entertainment that was for grownups. Um, you know, and obviously, like I said, being an adolescent and being curious, you know, I, you know, wanted to look at things that I wasn't old enough to look at. But it's so crazy because, you know, back then, you know, this is the 1980s, right? This is me sneaking into my parents' office and taking like magazines off of the shelf and looking through the magazines secretly. And it was softcore back then because there wasn't any hardcore penetration or anything like that in magazines back in the day because so many different um, magazines went to different places like Canada, different states that had different 
um, requirements, right? So everything was pretty soft core. You didn't start seeing hardcore in magazines until the internet came along and the magazines started to see that they had to compete with what people could get online. So when I'm looking at stuff, I'm looking at like boys and girls, post, like the most extreme thing I would be seeing is boys and girls posting together with like a guy with like a semi-flaccid penis, like holding it next to a girl's vagina. You know what I mean? I wasn't yeah. seeing what kids are seeing this these days online. So it was very, very different back then. Um, so, yeah, I always try to take that into account when, you know, I talk about growing up with porn kind of like, you know, in the periphery of my, you know, childhood. So would you say from back then to now, obviously, because of the evolution of the internet and like, like you say, um, youngsters, especially these days have access via the internet, you know, and it's a lot more accessible to everybody. Would you say it's got a lot more extreme than what it was back then as well? Oh God. Yes. So much more extreme. I mean, you can see almost anything these days, you know, so it's, uh, it's definitely much different. Well, that's the thing, but does it get like, um, is everyone trying to outdo everyone with how extreme they can go? I think that that was the case in like the early age of the internet, like the early 2000s, we saw kind of what I call like the porn Olympics. That was around the time that Belladonna stuck a baseball bat up her butt. Um, keep in mind, it was like, what is it like the little league baseball bat? So it wasn't like, you know, full league baseball bat. I just got to throw that in there for people, you know, so they understand the size of the bat. But it was stuff like that, right? And like, there was just really hardcore stuff, um, you know, like facial abuse. Um, people were putting out really, really crazy shit. And I think it was kind of like, it was sort of a spectacle. It was like a circus, you know? And And personally, I didn't find anything really sexy about a lot of that stuff. I think it's shifted now. I think that, you know, now people have seen a lot of extreme stuff that novelty has worn off a little bit. And what we're seeing now, especially with the rise of like OnlyFans and these other platforms is people are really seeking more of like a personal connection with their favorite stars. So it's diversified a lot. Yeah, so based on that, within regards to how extreme some of these videos are and the, the, the culture of it is of, you know, the more extreme, the better to, to get more, reach more of a wider audience. Would you say the porn itself kind of ruins relationships? based on what these videos can, the content can kind of contain? I, I would not say that. I am, you know, I am not a therapist and I don't want to misquote studies, but if you talk to some of these people like Dr. David Lay, you know, and other um, sex therapists that have been on my podcast, often the issue really comes from people who come from backgrounds that have a lot of sense of shame about sexuality, often like highly religious backgrounds, people who were raised by parents who never talked about sex and they're in relationships with other people who maybe also don't ever talk about sex. Like there's no like real communication there. So people end up hiding and secretly viewing stuff and um, it kind of like twists their idea around fantasy and reality. And I think mixing that in with a lack of communication and a large sense of shame around sex, that's what I think leads to ruining relationships. I would not say that porn specifically ruins relationships. Yeah, I think sometimes, to be fair, what people see on, on, on some of the sites, you know, and then compare that to, say, what they do with their partner, they're like, hang about. You know, mm -hmm. it's not what I see in these videos. I think that's kind of the, where I'm getting with the, does it ruin relationships to a certain extent, which I guess it's down to each individual, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I think the biggest problem is too is lack of sex education, which is terrible here in this country in the United States. Um, and also like media literacy. You know, people, especially when you have young people viewing porn videos with no context, right? Not understanding that it's a fantasy, not understanding that these people are engaging in these sex acts that are not necessarily, um, that aren't really how they would have sex in their regular lives. Like sometimes we compare it to kind of like WWE wrestling where it looks really extreme, but there's kind of like these tricks of the trade that people use in order to make it appear more so than it really is, you know, and you have to also take in to account like, you know, cutting and, you know, the, the magic, the movie magic of cameras and stuff like that. Um, and you know, that some people, and look, like there are some performers that are in some pretty crazy shit. Um, oh, and you know, <laughs> like they really are like in their real lives, but then there's some people who are really just performers and they're, they're performing on camera and that's not necessarily how they would like to have sex in their real life. So it all comes down to like communication and communication around sex is something that a lot of people find to be very awkward, very difficult to engage in. So you said about the scripting, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, some of these storylines, they are really funny. I mean, who actually creates them? <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, is that like directors like yourselves or, you know? Yeah, it depends. Like so it depends. Um, I've done all of them, like for when I was shooting for Wicked Pictures, I wrote my own scripts. I mean, of course, they would have to approve it. Um, but when I shoot for companies like Browsers, they write the scripts themselves and you know they're really looking at data right they're looking because they have um, websites like Pornhub and other tube sites where they can really see you know when people stop when people start when people rewind when people watch things all over again what people are clicking on they really look at all that data and they incorporate their data that data into what they have you shoot so um, there's a lot of like back-end business logistics that go into a lot of these scenes. It's not necessarily people who are just like weird and perverted and coming up with like crazy shit in their brains. Though, though that is, that also does happen too. But a lot of it is based on data these days. Uh, do you not ever look back at like some of the, the scenes that you've, you've created yourself, you know, the initial for say from the brain to actual reality that you've, you know, you produced it. Do you not ever look back sometimes and think, wow, like my brain works in some dark, mysterious ways sometimes to come up with that. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, like I'm not that, I'm pretty vanilla to be fair. So I wouldn't say that it's anything that I necessarily came up with, but there's definitely been scripts that I've been sent that other people have written where I'm just like, come on, you know what I mean? Um, and there's definitely been stuff that I've turned down, but there's been, there's been quite a few ridiculous scenes that I've shot, like when we talk about like kinks and fetishes and I never want to kink shame anybody, but one of like my favorites just because I find it personally like kind silly and also like harmless and also bizarre is the pie in the face fetish. <laughs> and this is when like women get glammed up and you know, all beautiful. And then the fetish is to throw like a cream pie in their face and just get them like completely covered in cake or pie or something really disgusting. And like somebody's really into that. And I did have to shoot a scene like that actually with Chloe Cherry, who ended up being like, you know, going, doing pretty well in the mainstream acting career. She was on um, Euphoria and stuff like that. And I had to shoot uh, a scene where she got uh, cream pie thrown in her face. She was very, 
she was a very good sport about it. But that whole day I was going like, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? What is this job that I have? It's so ridiculous. Well, yeah, it's pretty, I guess it would be ridiculous, but it's good fun as well. Though. Like I said, you it really is. are 0.01%. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, it's quite lucky in a way, I guess, with the, you know, some of the experiences you've had. Yeah. Have you ever had um, had people um, read your script and go, I ain't doing that? Uh, oh, for sure. How'd you deal yeah. with that? Then? So what I do, because I really like, and this is, I think, a mistake that a lot of um, producers in the industry tend to make, is they don't give the information ahead of time to the talent. Um, I'm very much about sending the script ahead of time. I give them a call sheet a, w- sheet a week ahead of time. So, you know, I want to make sure that they are aware of absolutely everything that we're going to do. I'm very, very clear about what the shoot's going to entail. I don't like surprises, and I know that, you know, most people don't either. Um, so so I usually bypass those issues by making sure that the person is prepared. And if it's something that they don't want to do, if it's essential to the scene, you know, if it's, I don't know, a client absolutely has to have an anal scene, and this person doesn't want to shoot anal then, you know, I'll have to book somebody else. Um, but in those cases, like, that's, since that's such a important part of the scene, like, we book people who shoot anal, you know what I mean? Like, we look at that first before we book the people. Um, but if it's a case where for some reason the agent didn't get them the information, which happens, or they didn't read the call sheet, which happens, um, and they get to set, you know, I will never make anybody do something that they don't want to do. And so, I mean, I would say 99.9% of the time we tweak the script in a way that they're comfortable with. Um, we change whatever it is that they're uncomfortable with. Um, I don't think I've ever had to send someone home. Actually, ironically, the only time that I can recall off the top of my head where I had to switch out the talent was a shoot for Playboy because the girl didn't think she had to get naked, um, which... I couldn't really get around that, you know what I mean? Um, But that was like a software shoot. Obviously, it was Playboy. It was very, very tame. But this was around the time that Playboy made that bizarre announcement that they were no longer shooting nudes. And then they changed that. But like that, the part about them changing it didn't make the headlines. The part about them taking away the nudes made headlines. So this girl just wasn't really paying attention. But that's really the only time that I had to be like, you know, like I have to send you home. I can't shoot you. but otherwise, we've always been able to make adjustments. And I work with clients that are understanding enough that they're willing to do so. You know, I'm not going to work for a company who's not going to take the needs of the talent into consideration because that's just not how I work. Yeah, so it seems quite safe to a certain degree. If, if... It is. I mean, you know, I, look, the porn, like any other industry, has its bad apples. It has its bad players, right? Of course, if you want to find horror stories about working in porn, you can find those. And and they're true. You know, women have had, and men have had terrible experiences. But a large percentage of the companies, especially these days with all the accountability that everybody has to have because of social media, you know, I mean, performers now, especially because they have that financial independence from platforms like OnlyFans, if you're going to mistreat them on set, they're going to call you out because they're not afraid of being blacklisted anymore. You know, the power has really shifted into the hands of the performers. And a lot of these big mainstream brands, you know, these these reputable companies take that into account. So 
it, you know, as much as it's never been as dark and nefarious, I think as most people like to make it out to be overall. And again, there's bad experiences and those absolutely exist. Um, today's adult industry is the best it's ever been. It's the safest it's ever been. You have the most power than you've ever had. You have the most agency that you've ever had. It's just, it's, you know, I've been in this industry, like I said, for 25 years and it's so different now. Yeah. Have you ever experienced like actual abuse where you think like, oh, you've gone a bit too far than what was like initially planned and agreed with your scripts beforehand or? That's a good question. Um, I don't think so because again, you know, like I said, I'm a pretty vanilla like director. I don't shoot anything extreme. You know, all of these companies that have, who shoot some pretty extreme scenes sometimes, I just don't work for those people. Cause that's just not, that's not my style. People don't hire me for that. Cause it doesn't really, I'm not really that kind of director. I'm not going to push girls to do, you know, triple anal. I don't really want to shoot triple anal. I don't have anything against it, but it's just not like, it's not my jam. So I don't really find myself in those kinds of situations. So, you know, you said about booking, um, like different talents. How does it work? Like, do you just have like some kind of database where you go, like, oh, I need, um, say, like an Asian person. I've got like 100 names in a database. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to do like a gangbang scene. So here's the people that, you know, that like doing that sort of thing. How does it work? Like, how do you go, oh, I've got to do this scene. Oh, who can ask to do that? You, you know? So, yeah. So agents is generally how it works, right? So most talent has an agent. And there's about five or six, like, reputable agencies in the adult industry that most of the talent is with, you know, and they, they, they book out most of the, like the big names. So generally I will visit those various websites and they'll have, you know, their do's and don'ts listed on each page. So, you know, this girl does anal, this girl doesn't, you know? Um, so that's generally how we find our talent, but also like the adult industry is a pretty small community. Um, and I kind of know everybody. You know, especially now with social media really bringing people together. So if you were to come to me and say, like, you know, I really want to shoot, like, who's a great brunette with big tits to shoot, like, a really intense anal scene with? I'd be like, hmm, Angela White. You know what I mean? Like, I just, it would come off the top of my head for the most part. But, and again, it depends on the client. Some clients want new girls. Um, Some clients want big established stars. Some clients have contract stars that they want me to shoot. So, um, it just depends, but there's no one database, but there's just various agencies, um, who represent most of the talent. Okay. So in regards to like your specific role, is it quite saturated within the market now with many people like you that are trying to do their own thing, trying to have their own brand, you know, trying to be or create what you have, uh, not necessarily always been able to achieve that. But do you have like a lot more competitors now because of the online scene? I, I mean, yeah, I would say so. Also, too, like I used to be like the only woman who was doing this. I mean, my mom. I mean, if you want to go back, my mom was really the only woman. And then when I started, I was one of the very few women. And you know, we're still in the minority in terms of directing, but not not nearly as much as it was when I was starting off. Um, you know, a lot of people. <laughs> Here's the thing about being like a director in porn 
it's not like mainstream where directors are directors and then you have a producer and even the producer has like different jobs. There's like a line producer, there's a story producer, there's all these different things. In porn, you're if you're the director, you're also the producer, you're also the line producer, you're also the person who handles the finances, you're the accountant, you're often the stylist, sometimes you're the PA. I mean, it's just like you have so you wear so many hats. So there there will be people who'll be like, I want to direct porn, and then they'll like get one job and they're like, Oh my God, there's so much bullshit paperwork that goes along with this. I gotta start a corporation. I gotta put people on payroll. I gotta get insurance. I gotta get liability insurance and workers comp insurance. It's like it's so much work that a lot of people are like, you know what, this is not actually all it's cracked out to be. And you don't really get paid that much money for all of that work that you do. Um, especially if performers want to end up being directors because they generally get paid the same or more than the director for their scene. And they're like, wow, it's so much easier for me to just shoot a scene. So um, I would say, honestly, now, especially now, there's so much production going on. It's actually crazy. I, I, it's more so than I've ever seen. There's bigger budgets than there's ever been in porn. And there's like more production companies. And I would say, if anything, companies are kind of starving for more producers like myself who can do all of those things, who are willing to take on the risks, the liability, the insurance, the payroll, all that bullshit. And then also do all the bookings and all the directing and everything like that. So I I would say we probably need more more of me. So would you say that um that producing is more like American or Canadian based as opposed to like rest of the world? Yeah, I mean, you mean like, is there more jobs out here? Yeah, so you know you're saying like the industry needs more producers. Mm. I mean, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, like say from from England that does what you do. Like I'd, I'd have to really research that, you know, whereas you're pretty common knowledge, you know, within the industry of what, you know, of who you are. So if, if the industry is that um, starved of producers, so to speak, or there's that growth there or potential for other people to come in, take off and grow, Mm-hmm. You say that unless you're based in America or, or Canada, you know, or, or the continent that you are, would it be harder for, say, someone from England or Australia or, or you know, somewhere else other than the US or, or you know, to to do what you've done because they just yeah. Haven't- well, I would say the biggest issue is where. Okay, so it's the talent pool. First of all, is kind of like that's where the most important thing is, right? And the talent pool is mostly in. America, mostly in Las Vegas, Florida, and Los Angeles. Um, so that's so. If you want to be a producer or director in porn, you kind of got to be in one of those three people, three places in in the United States. Um, in the UK, there are a couple. There's Danny D, who was a performer. He does a lot of the directing and producing for browsers out there. Um, there's a few other people. There's some people in Europe. Um, there's Erica Lust. I mean, she's in Spain. But, you know, the the talent pool is just much bigger in the U.S. and the industry is much bigger here. So there's just a lot more work out here. You also obviously like you have to be producing and directing porn in a country where it's legal and it's not legal in a lot of countries. So that's also something you have to take in consideration. You can't start like, say, directing and producing porn in like Morocco, you know, Um, so you have to consider where you are allowed to do it and where like the talent is and also just the resources the crew locations equipment stuff like that well that's that's another one that i was thinking of as well is 
the amount of to say scenes that are produced you know on the internet it, as a whole how do you go ah oh, i'm just going to go and film there how do you decide what location or you know because some of these setups i mean you know they're, they're so vast and you know and it's hard to pinpoint some but let's just say they go oh, i want a hotel room with a beach scenery you know or we want to be in a kitchen because so and so's do it like in the washing machine and then they get stuck. You know how it goes. Like <laughs> <Yes, I do. laughs> yeah. how, how do you decide what location do you know what I mean? It's it's how how do you do it? Oh man. Okay. So you right there named like the biggest crux of my job is locations. You know, people are always like, What's your craziest set story? What's the hardest thing? And they always think it's like the model or the actual scene itself, it's always the locations. That is the hardest thing for me because here's the thing, like in order for you to shoot a scene in a location, first of all, like the place has to have a couple of things just like physically, it has to be big enough, right? It has to be like a big enough room that I can put lights in there in cameras and get camera angles. It has to be like aesthetically pleasing in some way. It has to be somewhat soundproof, right? So you don't want to be like next to a gym with CrossFit, by the way, which by the way has happened to me. Um, so you don't want to be there where there's like banging, you know, constantly next door. Um, so there's all of those things. Then you also have to consider like, it has to be somewhere that people are going to let you shoot porn. And that's not easy, even in LA, which, you know, arguably boasts the most amount of film friendly locations. Um, 90% of them just don't want you jizzing on their couch, which is understandable. So, um, so finding a location that, you know, is porn friendly, that will actually work for the production that you're going to do is, is the biggest problem. And a lot of times, you know, scenes have to revolve around the location. I mean, I've had clients who are like, they send me this script. Like, I remember one of them, I think, was at a truck stop. I'm like, where the fuck am I going to find a truck stop that's going <laughs> to let me shoot porn there? And is affordable. That's the other thing that I forgot to mention, right? Like, maybe if I pay them $10,000, but you're that's you're not going to give me $10,000 for a location fee. So there's that, too. So a lot of times it has to be more along the lines of, like, these are the location options that we have. Write a script around that. That's, like, the biggest issue. See, I've always wondered as well, like, you know, you see the scenes set like on someone's really nice boat or, mm. you know, or someone's really nice apartment. You know, for a while, it's just been borrowed to, to, to do the scene or whatever. Yeah. The only thing, like, if, if that was my boat or my house, I'd be like, absolutely no way. It's two random people making a mess, so to speak, all over my countertop or my washing machine. Well, that, you know what I mean? It's... Yeah, it's, so I guess it's quite hard. I've always wondered that, so I'm glad you cleared that up. To be fair. Yeah, and, and you'll find, like, if you watch a lot of porn, you may start to notice the locations repeat themselves, and that's because there's, you know, only a certain number of locations that are porn-friendly, so people shoot at those places a lot, and they're reused constantly. So, like, if you want to get into a pretty lucrative business... You want to move to the San Fernando Valley, buy yourself a nice house with no neighbors, you know, because you don't you don't want neighbor problems. That also happens. You know, good spacious rooms, good ambient light, rent it out for porn, you know, make sure you get like waterproof couches. <laughs> Dude, you can make a killing. 
<laughs> see have you ever had it where like you've you've picked a, a location and you know next thing you know you've got someone banging on the wall like will you stop doing that i need to sleep or you know oh have i <laughs> or like they call the police because they think someone's being killed or yes so <laughs> i so one of my worst um situations i had with the location was i was shooting at this beautiful house in Woodland Hills. It had an indoor pool. It was so nice, super fancy. And the guy who was living there was actually like an NBA player. He played for a, a small team. Don't ask me who it was because I don't know anything about basketball, but he was an actual like NBA player. And I rented the place on a Friday and a Monday. Came in on Friday with the location agent you know, met him. He was super nice. He's like, yeah, I'm going out of town for a game, but like, here are the keys, let yourself in on Monday and you can, you know, shoot here on Monday. We'll settle up with payment later. I'm like, okay, great. So we shoot there Friday, no problem. Come back on Monday. Not only had he let all of his friends party at the house all weekend. So there's just people passed out on all of the couches. There's like cocaine everywhere. There's like empty vodka bottles everywhere. So I have to go like wake up all of these strangers off of the couch were like passed out and be like sorry i gotta shoot a porn here you have to leave so that was so awkward so i finally get everybody out of the house and i start shooting and all of a sudden i like hear this gasp and i look over and there's a realtor there with like this old persian couple who are just like oh what's going on and i'm like who are you and they're like who are you so it turns out the owner of the house was not the NBA player who gave me the key to shoot there on Monday. He was only renting it from the owner and the owner was showing the house to try to sell it. And this <laughs> NBA player didn't tell the owner that he'd rented it out for porn shoots. And in fact, when the realtor called the owner who called um, this NBA player, the guy denied knowing who I was, how I got in there and having you know any knowledge whatsoever that there was a porn shoot going on in his house. Like I had somehow snuck in there with my crew, <laughs> my equipment. I was just driving down the street. I was like, oh, that looks like a cool place. Let's just like go in there and shoot porn with no permission or anything like that. So um, yeah, so they called the police. Um, I packed up that van faster than I've ever packed up my van in my life. And thank God in LA, the cops take forever to get to your place. So we were gone by the time they, before they showed up. <laughs> but yeah, that was a, uh, and I've had, other experiences similar, but that was the worst one. So cocaine, you said about in that thing, that brings you onto another question I've been dying to ask, to be honest. Mm. Performers and drugs. Mm -hmm. Some of the scenes, especially some of the more like extreme scenes, you know, mm -hmm. is it like a, a common thing where some of the performers, you know, are known to be essentially drugged up so they can get through the scenes or is that a bit of a myth? You know, I think, it's it's probably it's not as rampant as i think people think it is you know people can't imagine that anybody can do some of these scenes and be sober for it which i understand and look like obviously there are performers who will do drugs and who will do drugs to get through a scene that certainly happens but i would say that probably more often than not that's not the case and the performers who really do well and who really succeed you know you think about girls like uh, Angela White, Adriana Chechik, you know, and these girls do extreme stuff. Like they're very conscious about their health and they are absolutely sober when they do these scenes um, because, you know, they know that they need to have their wits about them and they need to be able to focus and, you know, perform 
well because it's important to them. That's their career. And they also genuinely love it. I mean, you know, it's an anomaly that, you know, there are people like like that who enjoy, you know, getting banged by 10 dudes in the butt all at once. Um, but they, they are out there and they have found the perfect job for themselves. Well, how do they stumble into this then? I mean, do they just wake up one day and go, oh, I just want to get fucked every day and get paid for it? Or is there some I mean, kind of... Isn't that how you wake up every day? Well, well yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the, 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 what is like their sort of path of progression? Do you just wake up one day and go, oh, I want to be a porn star? Is I it think like it, into or? It just depends. I mean, you know, I've obviously, I've interviewed, I'm coming up on my 300th episode. And so I've interviewed, you know, hundreds of people. And I always ask them their origin story. And everybody's story is different. Some people stumble into it. I mean, Adriana Chechik said that she literally like went to a shoot and didn't know it was porn. And then they're like, oh, this is porn. She's like, well, okay, whatever. And I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Um, Whereas someone like Angela White, you know, grew up always knowing she was a very sexual person, was always interested in performing, you know, graduated top of her class, went to a prestigious university, wrote um, her thesis paper on human sexuality and like was very specific about this is what I want to do. And I want to, you know, do this for a living, but I also want to use, you know, my career as a porn star to talk about like, you know, women and sexuality and like, you know, fight the stigma and, and, you know, she has a whole agenda. So Sasha Gray was kind of the same, you know, like she came into the industry saying that she wanted to make a lasting impression. She wanted to change people's minds about, you know, what it was to be a porn star. So it's, it's different for everyone. Um, there's, you know, definitely a lot of stories of girls who just stumble into it. And then there's stories of girls who grew up wanting to do it and, you know, waited till they were 18 and took the leap and found that it was, you know, the right path for them. So, you know, like when you're interviewing like potential people to like join your scenes and that, do you kind of almost not prejudge, but like have a, a criteria in your head that they have to match beforehand? So say if you think someone's a little bit like mentally unstable and you think that like the a career in porn would kind of ruin their life or they, they haven't got like the mental capacity to manage that kind of environment on a frequent basis or it would put them on the wrong path, would you decline them based on that or do you kind of have like their best interest initially or do you just give them a shot and see how it goes if, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I mean I've definitely talked people out of getting into porn. I've had you know, women come to me and and ask me my opinion and, uh, you know, I'm straight with them. I tell them the truth. I go, look, like this could be the best thing you've ever done or this could be the worst thing you've ever done. It depends on so many things. You know, you need to make sure that you understand that your family will find out. You may end up facing, you know, a life of being stigmatized for what you do. You have to be okay with that. Um, But unfortunately, I don't usually get these girls on their first run. So a lot of times if I'm shooting somebody, they've already shot many scenes for many other companies. So they've already, you know, dipped their toe in, so to speak. Obviously, if I feel like somebody seems mentally unstable and, um, you know, doesn't want to be there or, you know, shouldn't be there, then I won't shoot them. I've certainly sent girls home before because I felt like they were not in the right mindset. But, you know, usually by that point, they've, they've already done 
several scenes. And so I'm not really like their first introduction to the industry. So would you say that um, like from all the time you've been in the industry, mental health and like performers, how, what is that the average kind of capacity, would you say? Are most of them quite switched on and like stable or, you know, do you come across like a lot of depressive characters or people that rely on drugs to get by because it's completely unsettled them um, or like the experiences um, since be- being starred in porn? I mean, I think like, again, like anything, it's kind of like a mixed bag. Um, I mean, mental health is, you know, we're seeing it more and more because I think we're, we're open to talking about it, but mental health is an issue for a lot of people, whether or not you're in porn. I mean, I know accountants who have serious mental health issues. Um, so for some people, the porn industry is a blessing for that. Um, I think it was Lena Paul actually was talking about how for her, the porn industry was a great place for someone who had mental, who could, who was experiencing, you know, different kinds of mental health issues because she was able to really create her own schedule, step back when she needed to. It wasn't like a nine to five where like you had to go to work every single day. Um, If you needed to take a break, you could, you had control over, you know, what you did. Um, and there's other people who, you know, the thing is, is that if you've got hangups about sex and sexuality and a lot of shame around it, it's like, it can go either way, right? It can either help you lose that, like lose those inhibitions, learn about yourself, shed your, your feelings of shame around sexuality, find a place where, you know, you're embraced and you're accepted for being a sexual person or it can drive you further back down that hole. And I find that a lot of times when you talk about women who are having serious mental health issues, struggles with the porn industry, it's usually because they are um, ostracized by their family or they've been disowned. If they don't have like a good support group that you know they can trust and rely on, that's generally where I see the biggest mental health issues happening. People who come from families who support them, who have a trusted friend group that supports them, I think fare better. And I think that that's kind of how it is just generally overall, if you're dealing with mental health issues, knowing that you have people who love you, who are there to support you makes a big difference. Um, I also know women who have, you know, experienced sexual abuse, and who have come into the industry. And contrary to what most people might think, it's actually helped them reclaim their power over their sexuality. They've been able to process what they've been through in a safe and controlled environment where the communication is really fluid and where they have the power to say no, where they're surrounded by other people who are there to do a job to ensure that, you know, they're not alone with somebody who they may or may not be able to trust um, in most cases, of course. And, and it's and it's helped them. So I think it's just like, it's hard to say, you know, porn does this one thing to people or it does this one thing to people or this kind of person comes into porn or this kind of person comes out of porn. It's just like, it's different for everyone. And so there's no like one way to characterize, you know, how porn might affect you. So you say about like the stigma attached to um, not being a porn star. 
would you say it's pretty harsh in regards to most people just automatically think, oh, you're a slut? Yeah. I mean, I would say, if anything, like the most damaging thing probably about working in the porn industry is not even necessarily the work itself, but the stigma that you face by doing the work, the way that people treat you, um, how difficult it can be to, you know, have a serious relationship with somebody because they have issues with you having had sex on camera with other people, which again is like understandable. Um, some people can handle that. Some people can't. So yeah, I would say that the stigma is the biggest problem. And that's, you know, something that I've tried to fight against by starting my podcast is to show the world that like, these are human beings. These are people, these are wonderfully brought, vibrant, intelligent, funny, creative people. And, you know, the porn industry for all of its problems, and it certainly has them is not like this evil nefarious industry that's just like churns, you know, out women and just destroys people's lives and actually can have the opposite effect. So, and I, th I think it's changing. I mean, studies have shown that younger people have a better view of porn and are less judgmental against it. And I think also, you know, with again, women and sorry, I always say women, but I mean, women and men having um, more financial independence, being able to create more of their own content, own their own content because of these, these other platforms, you know, it's really given them a lot of power and agency. And that I think has been incredibly helpful and has also cultivated like a better working environment because brands treat performers better, performers have more say, and um, it's just an overall better place, better place to be. So would you say that, um, that in regards to that, the stigma again, once you've done it once, are you then branded, you know, as like a, a a dumb slut that is only good for being fucked in the nicest possible sense, you know? So like, say if you, you know, because you're plastered on the internet, you know, say if you, like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go and get an, you know, a, I don't know, a job as like a scientist or whatever it is you studied at college, you know, to, to progress. Are you kind of stuck in that world there? Once you enter it, you ain't getting out. I mean, it, it depends again, right? I, I would say that probably most of the time uh, people struggle to get out of the adult industry. Um, a great example was uh, this woman named Nicole, who was only in a handful of scenes and she ended up, she was in porn for like a year and she ended up leaving. She ended up going to school to become a nurse. Uh, they found out what she did at her school and she got like pushed out of her program. She actually ended up suing the university and winning for discrimination. And so, you know, in cases like that, I get so frustrated because people say like, oh, you know, why don't you go out and get a real job? And then these people go out and they try to get a real job and <laughs> like they can't. So um, I always find that to be really unfortunate. And I do know a lot of performers who have struggled with it. I also know performers who've been very successful at, you know, transitioning out of the industry. I know a few performers who are now realtors, like successful realtors, and their porn past is behind them. And, you know, you can look at other people like Lisa Ann's a great example of how she's been able to move on from porn star. She's now like a sports personality, you know, and she has her own podcast and she's like traveling the world. And um, Sasha Gray is another great example. You know, she's now a popular Twitch streamer and has a popular YouTube channel and she's a DJ. And so it's definitely not impossible. 
And I think it's becoming more possible because creators have access to, you know, their own personal streams of revenue. They don't have to rely on brands anymore. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it's an uphill battle. So that's, you know, why I always tell people, if you think about getting in the porn industry, like really consider it and consider, you know, how it could interfere with your future if you wanted to end up doing something else with your life. But it's not impossible. What do you say it's easier for women to progress in porn though than males? So that all depends. You see, progress in porn or get out of porn? Uh, to like progress in porn, because like you usually see like it. The impression I get, and I might, I might be wrong, but it seems more of like a, a male consumer product. Mm, yeah, men, porn and women. And yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, though, if you're a gay male porn star, you make you can make quite a bit of money. <laughs> there's a there's a lot there's a lot of money in that in that side of the industry, but it depends. So, if you're a good male performer, if you're a solid male performer, if you can do your job well, which a lot of guys can't because it is a very difficult job, um, you can have a much longer career, and you can have a much more solid career because good male performers are hard to come by. So if you can do your job well, if women like working with you, um, you know, if you can stay fit and healthy and, you know, basically have sex with someone for two hours and come on command, you can have a much longer career. And almost because you're not the focus of the scene, right? Like women can kind of, I guess, you know, be overshot um, men, not necessarily because they're kind of like the backup dancers. So they can have a much longer career because we always need good, solid male talent. So based on like, like you say, like males are more like backup dancers in, in mm -hmm. a certain context is to pay for women a lot more than men then. Cause it the is. women, are, yeah, it is. Those some of the high, the higher, um, like the really big male talent, uh, get paid a lot more. And again, like it's, it's different. I mean, there's some male talent that are like, ex have reached extraordinary levels of fame. I mean, Rocco's Freddy is a good example. Um, Johnny Sins has become like enormously popular as like an internet sensation. Manuel Ferrara, um, Kieran Lee. So, you know, some of these guys have become, you know, kind of like legends in their own right. So it, again, it just, just depends. Yeah, Johnny Sins, he's the doctor guy, isn't he? That's what he's famous for. <laughs> he's famous for having, like, played every single kind of character. And that's because he worked for Brazzers so much, because Brazzers has all these, like, kind of ridiculous scenarios. But, um, yeah, I know Johnny's become kind of like a pop culture phenomenon. And, like, the nicest guy, too. Like, it couldn't have happened to a, a nicer person. Do you think it kind of opens up avenues for, like, actual acting as well, though? Like, have you ever heard of people that are in like the porn world and then, you know, some like movie directors are gone, oh, he'd be quite good in my set, you know, and then mm. they end up and then transitioning over. Is there anyone that's actually done that or? Well, I mean, I think there's, there's people that are definitely, I mean, Chloe Cherry again is a great example. I mean, she, you know, did really well in Euphoria and she's become kind of like a pop culture sensation in that. She's actually, she's quit porn, I believe, and she's doing acting full time. Um, but, you know, in terms of like getting to the top and winning an Oscar, not, not yet. Um, 
but you know, you've seen, you've definitely seen some of that transition, but it's hard. It's also hard to be a really good actor and that is a very competitive business. So to be able to come out of porn, be good enough to, you know, get into serious mainstream acting and then to be good enough to, you know, get to like Meryl Streep levels, you know, I feel like that's, that's quite a challenge. So I would say that it's not, we don't see like a ton of people becoming big mainstream actors. Um, but there's been a few that have definitely like broken through. I would say actually the best example of that, and people never talk about this because she's not big in Hollywood, she's big in Bollywood, is Sunny Leone. So Sunny Leone was um, a performer. I actually did her very first adult shoot back in the day. And uh, she became like a penthouse pet. And then she went on to create her own company. And she shot like boy girl with her husband. And she became a pretty popular porn star. And she's 100% Indian. And then she went on the Indian show Big Brother. And then she just blew up over there. And she's a huge star in India. I mean, if you look her on Instagram, she's got like, I don't know, same amount of followers as the Kardashians. It's crazy. Like she's incredibly famous. She's one of the most searched for stars on the internet. Um, and she's in every big Bollywood movie, but because of Bollywood, people like don't think about her, but she's probably the most successful crossover star when it comes down to it. Yeah, that's pretty good. So there is, uh, but again, now, how do you, cause there's so many people that are in scenes now, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. amazing that, you know, you go on there and you pick say one or just click on one specific porn star as an example, like, and that filmed like 300 scenes. Do you think, well, one, how the hell do you manage to record 300 scenes anyway? You know, that's quite an achievement anyway. But there's so many, or it seems like there's so many of them. So how do people, or like the, the odd one or two, ended up like blowing up, you know, to, and separated from the rest as being like the, like Lisa Ryan again, we'll talk about her in a bit, she's got a few questions. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, people like her, what separates her from like your everyday female that's taking part in these videos, you know? What, like, so specifically Lisa Ann? Um, or more, like you well know, so like Lisa Ryan, Corey mm -hmm. Chase, off the top of my head, um, you know, like your your most commonly searched for women, so to speak. I would say like an incredible work ethic. I mean, Lisa Ann has an incredible work ethic, and she is like one of the most organized people I know. Lisa Ann's actually a good friend of mine, and I'm always like so impressed by all of these like life hacks that she just has, like just with life. And I always told her she's got to write a book because like a book specifically for like how to be a porn star. Like she has the whole system on how to do everything. And she just like, she's just really smart. And she really sees it as a business and she sees it as a career. She's not just in it to like show up to a scene, you know, make a couple bucks and then get out. Like she thinks about where's my longevity in here? How does this benefit me long-term? You know, she's made deals with companies where she gets residuals from her scenes. And, you know, a lot of performers don't get that. And they don't do that. So I think it's really coming to it with a with a business sense. Um, and also like the fans just have to love you. And I think the fans love you if, if they know you're enjoying what you do. I think really enjoying the scenes that you're in translates and people can tell. And so if you're really like showing that you're into having sex with people on camera, I think that also helps people too with like any sense of shame that they might have about watching porn and then you come at it with a strong work ethic and like make smart business decisions that's going to help you you know really increase your longevity and and maybe transition out of the 
adult business into doing something else. Well, yeah, you say like some of um, like the more established, well-known performers have gone on to do say like, I don't know, like real estate, you know, properties and stuff. Mm -hmm. They run pretty well, you know, to, to be able to do that. That obviously opens up avenues that they wouldn't have had if they didn't go into the porn industry, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, some people, you know, say that going into the porn industry was really helpful for them because it, you know, got them out of a bad situation or taught them how to make money. I mean, taught them how to handle money. I mean, if you think about it, you know, porn stars are generally, especially now, they're small business owners and they're entrepreneurs. Like they're independent contractors. So they have to like figure out their own taxes. They have to figure out, you know, um, get their own medical insurance. Like they're not employees of any particular company. So it really teaches you a lot about business being an independent adult performer. And I think that that probably helps people when they want to transition into other other types of business. See, I think a lot of people have no idea just how much goes into this, yeah. you know, as, as a business on its own. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I guess it's a, a totally different industry, but the same as like being like a personal trainer, you know, or like a, mm. a fit. It's a business, isn't it? You know, it, it it's a product. Yeah, absolutely. And you get like, your clients, you know, um, some performers have, you know, really hardcore long-term fans that, you know, support them through decades of their career. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like cultivating that fan base and, and really making people feel connected with you as well. So talking finances then in regards to this being a business, how much, I know it obviously varies with, you know, how well known they are and like each individual person's like booking fee or whatever. But let's just say, like, you just go through, like, entry-level first ever scene, you know, to, like, your mid-level, to, like, your Lisa Anne's. Mm -hmm. How much do you get, like, per scene, or how much do they make a year? So it depends on the scene that they're doing. So that's the most important thing. And um, scene rates have, have changed over the years. So generally, for a girl-girl, 800 to 1,000 is what you'll make per scene for, for a woman. I'm speaking about female rates right now. Boy, girl scene, 1,000 to 1,200. This is entry level, by the way. And of course, like some people may work for smaller companies and get paid less because they don't have the same budget. But I'm just talking in terms of like the bigger mainstream brands that I shoot for. Um, anal scenes can be maybe around between 12 and 1,500. Um, and then... You know, if you go up, if you're kind of like a, a mid-level um, performer, you probably make the high end of those rates that I just said. So maybe like 1,200 for a boy-girl scene or, or 1,500 actually, 1,500 probably for a boy-girl scene. You get up to, you know, contract status, really big names. You could make up to four or $5,000 a scene. And how much you make a year depends. And now because of again, like these personal content platforms, like OnlyFans makes a huge difference. I mean, I know girls that are making $200,000 a month on OnlyFans. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. So, you know, obviously that makes a big difference. So if you're doing that and you're making $5,000 a scene and maybe you're under contract with a big company and you're doing one or two scenes a month, I mean, and, and and that's just OnlyFans and um, 
scenes, you know, and there's other like avenues of revenue, you know, social media pays actually surprisingly. Um, some girls have other, I mean, I know a lot of performers who have invested in other companies. Abigail Mack is somebody who invests in other companies, um, real estate, stuff like that. So, you know, if you're smart with your money, these girls, these girls do really, really well. Are you saying about OnlyFans and that as well? I mean, like back in the day, say when you felt like your first five years, if you're doing what you do um, to like now, would you say that like since internet's got bigger, you know, social media, OnlyFans, has that taken money away from the industry that you're in? Um, or has it actually propelled it to be even greater? I mean, you know, a lot of producers have complained about like OnlyFans and the fact that, you know, like a lot of performers aren't working for, they've retired from mainstream porn as they say it, and they only shoot for their OnlyFans. But I mean, I have not found that the amount of work has dried up. I have found that it has increased in fact. And I prefer uh, a place where the people who come to set are really the only people kind of people who want to be there. So if they don't need to go to set, they don't have to go to set. And so then I know that the people who are showing up to set and who are, you know, making a ton of money on their only fans are the people who actually want to be there. And they want to be there because they like being on set. They like production. They like being around people. They like everything that goes into it. So that just makes it a much, um, much more pleasant experience. But yeah, I would definitely say that, um, the industry has not shrunk. I think it has grown. Yeah, so it's, it's not been hard to get people because people can be like, oh, I can just do a few videos, um, you know, just take my clothes off, you know, as a good mm -hmm. example, but not actually end up having to do something with a stranger, probably for the same, if not more money. Mm -hmm. is, is OnlyFans a threat to the porn industry in regards to people wanting to... I mean, again, like, yeah, there are definitely some performers who's, who aren't working for the big brands anymore. You know, like Mia Malkova is an example. Um, Abigail Mack, for the most part, works for herself. But then there's other really big names who are still shooting mainstream scenes. Um, Angela White, Shree DeVille. I mean, these girls don't have to. You know, they make they make good money on their own, but they enjoy it. They like the production. They like being on set. They like getting dressed up. They like going through hair and makeup. They like working with, you know people they like working with these brands they'd like to work generally they enjoy working you know staying at home and shooting stuff on your cell phone in your bedroom can get really boring after a while yeah so talk yes talk about like because the everyday male would be like oh, i'd love to be a porn star i don't have <laughs> any idea behind the scenes you got i don't know how many people have you got watching you eight to ten maybe more um yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends. That that's a, that's so a good, how how does the number? Seem it's a good number. Like uh, my see, generally, I try to keep a small crew, but I usually have about seven people in my crew. But that doesn't include the performers. So maybe like five people watching you. But you know, again, when I did had a show on Playboy TV, we had a, like a crew of like thirty people. So you know, so if you watch you, it's tough to perform then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, again, like my Playboy TV show was a perfect, was a really interesting kind of um, experiment in what it was like for men who'd never performed in front of the camera to do so. Because the whole premise of the show that I did, which is called Adult Film School, was amateur couples who have never um, performed professionally before. And the idea was that I was shooting a professional sex tape of them 
um, and this whole thing was being documented like as a, as a reality show on Playboy TV. And so, you know, we these guys would come in and most of them were swingers and so they were in the lifestyle, right? So they were used to being around people and having sex in front of other people. That was not something that was strange to them. But there's a difference between being at a party where there's a bunch of people having sex and it's a loose atmosphere and there's music playing and maybe you've had a couple drinks and everything's chill to being on a production set where you definitely are not allowed to have any drugs or alcohol, where it's dead fucking silent, where a man is holding a sound boom like right over your head, where you've got these hot lights on you and there's all these people sitting around going, okay, action. And then like everything's up to you and it's so quiet. And uh, it was it was rough, man. Like guys, I there was a lot of fails. Um, there was a lot of guys who came in really cocky and left not so not so much. You didn't counsel in afterwards because their ego got such a hit. Yeah, dude, I honestly like there was a part of me that just felt like I was ruining relationships. I was like, <laughs> I'm like crushing dreams right now because again, this was supposed to be like real life amateur couples, and I was like, how many people broke up after doing this show? Because <laughs> like the girl would be so disappointed, you know, it was her dream to do something for Playboy. And then like her, her man couldn't get it, couldn't get it up. And the thing was, is that we still finished the scene regardless. So like if he couldn't get his penis hard, we just would shoot softcore, right? Because we had to have something. We couldn't just kill the scene. They spent a lot of money on these shoots. And so, you know, it became this song and dance of me being like, well, you know, you've tried for the last two hours and we got to keep going. So it's okay that you can't get your dick hard. It's, it's fine. You know, we're just going to shoot softcore. Nobody's going to know. Don't feel bad. So let's do these positions. So, you know, angling them so he can't see like his limp penis. And then he has to like pretend to fuck his girlfriend. And just the whole time he's just like banging his limp dick against her. <laughs> Like knowing that he wasn't able to do it and, you know, all of us would be like, oh, that looks great. You know, um, now pretend to be like fucked really well. It was just like, it was rough. It was rough so if he didn't have confidence issues, he did after that. Yeah. But, you know, I tell guys this all the time. Like you shouldn't feel like this is a measurement of like what a great lover you are or how manly you are or something like that. It is a very difficult job that very few men can do and if it's not something that that you can do like you should you know be forgiving of yourself for that so how do you know if the you know being a porn star is for you is it a case of try it see how it goes and go from there probably yeah <laughs> i think i mean there's been there's been a lot of guys that have come in the business and have you know done a couple of scenes and been like yeah this is this is not for me so, um, yeah, I think, you know, with guys, cause it's so reliant on them actually being able to perform. It's not necessarily just a case of like, how do I feel about this afterwards? You know what I mean? Because a woman can do the scene regardless. Um, but for men, they really like the proof is in the pudding. And if they can't perform the scene, even if they can stay hard through the scene, if they can't pop on command, like people forget too, like, you know, after 30 minutes, okay, we're done. Now we need you to come on command, you know? And we uh, we gotta roll the cameras and we can't roll these cameras for 20 minutes. We can't have 20 minutes of like dead footage of you just going 
<laughs> like you gotta like you gotta do it. And then like the longer you take, the war like the weight, you know, of like the time and everybody's like, oh, how long is this gonna take? And you know, the cameraman can't like put down the camera for a second to like take a break because you might come then and then he misses the come shot. It's a lot of pressure. So it must be horrible though, really, especially like if you know you're struggling, you know, like you, you like you're, you're hammering away, so to speak, and you're subconsciously thinking, I just can't do it. But then you got all these yeah. faces you, you know, it's, like the pressure's on, isn't it? I mean, and that's the thing. That's that's where like once it starts to go downhill, and once you, your mind starts to come in, and it's just like a self-perpetuating cycle because you start to doubt yourself. And then the more you doubt yourself, the more anxious you get, the less likely you are going to actually be able to perform. It's, it, it just, it's a quick spiral downhill. It's really tough. It must be quite intimidating though, like for, for males as well to us, you know, imagine you going in like as like a relatively new, for, um, I don't know, first time or I don't, I don't know, what would you deem as like new, say under 20 scenes? There are about. Yeah, I would say under 20 scenes. That's, that's still pretty but, new. You've not done, so you're in like your first um, 20 scenes or whatever. You walk in and up, bang, there's like someone established, I don't know, at least around. And you must be as great as that would be thinking, yeah, I can't wait. At the same time, you're like, please don't be done in 10 seconds. (laughs) So this is why most guys, when they first come into the industry, if you're lucky enough to get an agent who's going to give you a shot, they're usually not going to book you for a one-on-one scene. They're going to book you in a blowing. Because if you fail in a blow bang, no one's really gonna notice, right? Yeah. So if you're one of six dicks and you can't get your dick hard, you can kind of just shrink into the background and then the <laughs> other dicks can come up and like take the space that you vacated. And like, you can kind of just fade into oblivion um, if you you know if you can't perform and the scene can still get done. So, uh, so yeah, generally a lot of times when the guys when they do their first scene, it's, it's with multiple guys to see if you can hack it. Cause also too, if you're able to like keep your dick hard, come on command, so, like shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of other sweaty dudes who are also like jerking their meat right next to you, then like, you know, this might be the job for you. <laughs> well, yeah, it must take that special kind of character. Yeah, exactly. Hey, like if you're looking around and there's like another like three guys either side of you, that ain't for everyone. No, <laughs> it is not. Have you ever had anyone like, on set actually freak out? Like, so like I don't know, like panic attacks, or they just like like shit. I just cannot do this. Like it's you know, it's not. For I've me, had but- to call. Yeah, I've had to call a scene because a guy couldn't come, and it wasn't because he like had a panic attack or anything like that. Like, so one of my things is too, and and I'm fortunate enough to be in a place in my career where I can be, I can say this is I will not shoot brand new male talent. Like, I just won't do it because it's the fail rate is so high, and um, I, I'm not having my scene killed for that. So I generally will only shoot established male talent. Um, but you know, even they have bad days some days and there's, there's had to be a couple of shoots where I've just had to be like, look, man, like this isn't happening for you. And I've had to call somebody else in and that's the worst when you tell a guy he's to go home cause he can't like perform. We used to like pack up his bag and put all stuff away and be like, sorry, you know what I mean? Like walk out the door and you're like, sorry, like waiting for, you know, Charles Dara to come replace him. Yeah, see off the it's back of that. Nice. 
have you ever like all the years you've been in the industry right have you ever had it where or in stories that you know of where they put everything into becoming a concert that is like the one thing you wanted to do but it's turned out that they're just shit at it and it's not for them have like people like i don't know like committed suicide or like completely like ruined their life do you know what i mean or yeah i know i mean i don't if it has I, I don't know because i haven't really like followed through with them afterwards but i don't think so i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's been men who've like dreamt spent their whole lives dreaming about becoming a porn star and they it just didn't they just weren't able to cut it and they were like devastated by it i'm sure that's happened but you know i don't i don't know anybody personally that that's happened to because again like a lot of times i don't i don't shoot new male talent so i don't really know them so what's like the criteria then so you know obviously you say you only want to really work with like established people because of the success rate so if i was to go right that's it i want to do it you know Mm -hmm. uh, for a total newbie what how do they kind of pass the the holly randall criteria you know you you got to do a bunch of scenes and either be like recommended by another female star or a client requests you and usually like we'll know if somebody's good you know like word will get around the industry i mean trust me like we are so hungry for good male talent that like if there's a new guy in the industry that's good like it will come up like people will be like you know i have other friends who are directors like hey have you tried this new guy like he's really great i've shot him in like five scenes like he's super solid like comes you know on command no problem like you gotta try him he's great like if you're good word will get around and people will start booking you. So, um, but how you start is you generally go to an agent and you say, Hey, I want to be a porn star and you send your pictures and obviously a picture of your penis. And if they like the look of you, they might give you a shot, but you know, agents get these emails all the time from guys who want to be in the industry. So it's not that easy to even get an agent to consider you. So sometimes what's easy to do, what's better to do, Find a girl who's willing to perform with you. Maybe start like a free Pornhub channel. That's a good one because obviously they're free and it's places where you can get traffic and you can get notoriety um, and start shooting scenes and posting them. And, you know, first of all, that's a good way for you to dip your toe, see if you're, you're good at it and that you have a possible future in it. And then once you've got, you know, some content out there that proves that you can do the job, then maybe you go to an agent and say, hey, I really want to start doing mainstream porn. Here's my Pornhub channel. Here's the scenes that I've done. Like, can you give me a shot? So for those at home in England contemplating after hearing this, oh, I want to go into porn, basically get yourselves on Google, find an agency, go from there. Yes. Though, again, like, and in the UK, if you're in the UK too, like, I don't know what the agencies are out there. I mean, when I talk about agencies, I talk about ones out here in the U.S. I know there's some out there, but they're not they're not as prolific. So, again, like I would suggest trying to, you know, find a girl who's down to bang you on camera and um, start start a Pornhub channel. You know, you can get paid for um, posting stuff on Pornhub. You got to verify yourself, verify your age, obviously, all of those things. Try that. That's a good and way to start. Well, obviously get consent because over here, I'm not too too sure what it's like over where you are, but um, like you get some people like secretly recording shit and they upload it and then they get. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. 
Yeah, sorry. Thank you for pointing that out. Absolutely. And you have to have model releases and IDs from the other person too. Like, cause there's no chance that they're going to put up content knowingly that is underage. And they've got really, you know, ever since Pornhub went through that whole thing um, with that New York Times article, they've become very, very strict. So in order to open a verified account, you have to provide your IDs, you have to provide releases, you have to do a face scan, and anybody who's in the scenes with you also has to submit releases, age verification, um, face scan, all that stuff. So yeah, there absolutely has to be a consenting party for sure. Yeah, because there must have been some big problems initially with like boyfriends sending in shit and the girlfriend may break up, you know, the dad goes to them, oh, what is this? And then shit hits the fan, you know, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's good. At least it's quite secure to a certain degree. Yeah. Or safe. Even, even if they, even if they don't see your face, still have to submit releases. Yeah, because there's a guy over here, he's quite well, I say well-known, he's like, um, on MTV, a couple of the shows and that. Um, he, his ex-girlfriend, he released stuff on the internet, them two doing shit. He's in prison now. So, oh, yeah. 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 No, you have to get consent for sure. Very important. The agency's right. So one of the most common questions as well is like, do you have to have a massive dick to be a porn star? So it helps. Um, and <laughs> mostly for logistical reasons. Um, actually, if you watch one of my most recent episodes with Nathan, Nathan Bronson, who considers himself, and I guess he's like an average penis porn star. And when I say average, he's probably like seven inches, which is not average, which is above it average, but for porn, it's not like a monster dick. Um, and he talks about how it's harder to do because what, what, we have to do in porn is what's called opening up, right? So I'm just going to do a little visual demonstration for you. So your penis has to be long enough that we see the penetration, right? Don't forget there's ass cheeks here too, which might be covering a little bit of the penetration that we can see the penetration and see the movement going in and out without the dick popping out all the time. And both performers have to kind of open up their hips to the camera so you can see the penetration. So the penis can't keep popping out while that happens. So the longer the penis is, the easier it is to get that penetration without the dick popping out. And the easier it is to light and get the camera angles that you need to see what you're trying to film. Also, obviously, like porn is, you know, a fantasy. It's a caricature of real life. You know, so bigger is generally better. Bigger boobs, bigger butt, bigger dick. So what would you say... Um... So two questions then. So what would you say is the average dick size? In porn? Uh, everyday life and then, so to make those at home feel better about themselves. <laughs> I believe five and a half inches is the average, like across the board. Um, then, in porn, average size is probably between seven and eight. And then you get those very strange ones that are like 10 plus, yeah? Yeah, yeah, and then you get like the the monster dicks, like the dreads and, and stuff like that, and those are. <laughs> have you, you ever ain't had coming it on... near me with one of those? Well, this is it. This is what I was about to say. Is it? Um, have you ever had it on set before, where like the woman's like, no, no oh chance. yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Again, like there's there's always like a lot clarity before the scene. The woman knows who she's working with, and you know, I brought up dread. And Dredd is on quite a few performers' no lists, not because he's not a lovely guy, and he is a lovely guy, like great personality, wonderful to work with. 
Um, but he's got a huge penis and some women just don't feel like that they can take that and that it would be too much for them and it might be painful. And so they won't work with him only because his penis is too big. So it can, it can, you know, be a hindrance at times. Yeah. I guess on paper you'd think, oh, it sounds like a good problem to have, but it sounds like more of a problem than anything else. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's as wonderful as it sounds. Yeah, Most women f- prefer the boyfriend penis, you know, that like that kind of more every day. Dread is maybe like a a once in a while special like birthday dick, but like not an everyday. Like basically when she says to you, oh, it's not the biggest I've ever had, but it feels the best. That sort of yes. criteria. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say <laughs> some kind of there's there's pressures in um, in the porn industry for performers to look a certain way? So what I'm getting at with this is, say, like males, for example, is there a pressure for them to look a certain way in regards to physique or like athletic ability? Or, I mean, I think for sure there's definitely like, I mean, look, it's it it is as much people as some people like laugh at this. These people are athletes. They're sexual athletes. If you've ever tried to have sex with somebody for an hour in all kinds of uncomfortable positions in uncomfortable places, um, maybe it's really hot, maybe it's really cold. I mean, if you as a woman has ever had to do reverse cowgirl for, you know, more than 10 minutes, that is fucking hard. Um, You know, the men often, you know, you see them throwing these women around, lifting them up, like that takes a lot of strength. So generally you have to be pretty fit, especially as a guy, in order to be able to perform in these scenes. But, you know, we've seen so much more diversity come into the industry and, you know, being more widely accepted, especially with like the big brands. So we've seen a lot of like plus size women, um, you know, being featured on sites like browsers, which, you know, wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. And, um, you know, just coming out of kind of like this niche, you know, very like smaller, kind of kink specific sites and being featured alongside like the regular, you know, what we would have considered like mainstream porn stars. So um, I think that, you know, the, we're embracing, I mean, I think females specifically more so um, body diversity in, in women, just because at least on our side of the industry in the straight porn industry, quote unquote, because, you know, that's the main focus of the scenes, right, is what the women look like. So, but we're seeing a lot more diversity there. But, you know, I mean, you're on camera, right? So people have to find you attractive, whatever that means. So yeah, there's definitely like a physical aspect to it. Like you have to be, present yourself a certain way and be attractive. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be super skinny. Like I said, there's a lot more diversity in body types and stuff like that. But there's definitely like an emphasis on appearance. I mean, you are on camera. So based on that, I mean, again, more like the athlete side of things, you know, is it like a known thing to say like, do porn stars take steroids like to, to guarantee that they look a certain way or meet a certain athletic criteria? I mean, I know there are some guys in the past that have, but it's generally a very bad idea because usually that um, messes with your sexual ability. And I know that it can like 
you know, change the size of your genitalia, um, create, you know, like sometimes people take steroids, they get like pimples all over their back, which is not attractive. So, um, I mean, a lot, you know, it's so interesting because you see this a lot in just culture in general, but especially like in the porn industry, like so many of these really successful guys, like the new, the new blood, the new breed, so to speak, like they're just all about clean living and being like super healthy, like Lucas Frost and Nathan Bronson. Like they're very serious about, you know, what they put in their body, the exercise that they do, you know, Charles Dara did jujitsu. He does like breathing exercises. Like, you know, they're not about pumping their bodies full of chemicals. They're about really maintaining like a healthy balanced lifestyle to be able to, you know, perform at what is a very challenging job. Yeah, so do you think like the times are kind of changing in regards to like, you know, like when Arnold Schwarzenegger was around like, in his prime time, it was back in the day, like it was more like bodybuilding and how big you are, you know, mm-hmm. so would you say that there, there was more of a steroid culture in, in porn as opposed to there is a steroid um, culture in porn now? I mean, maybe, though, I got to say, like, shooting guys that are really big and bulky is actually like very difficult um, for scenes because then they tend to overpower the frame of the woman. And then if they get too big, they start to like block the girl. Like there was this one guy that I had shot a few times who, you know, was getting really bulky and I had to like tell him because thighs were getting too big. And so like it was getting harder for me to see the penetration because his thighs were like blocking his penis. You know, and it was like, I, there's too much thigh going on. Like, I need to see your dick. Like, you're getting too big. Um, and so it, it can actually be a problem if you get too big. If you had like the, who's the, the huge guy, Bautista? Oh, like, yeah. I can't, I can't imagine shooting him in a porn scene. Like, he's <laughs> too large. Like, I'm, I can't see anything. It's just him and his fucking muscles, you know? So you can definitely be too big. Um, leaner is, is generally preferable. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the, the trends now anyways, and it's more like like back in the day again, like I was referring to more like bodybuilding, bigger the better. Whereas now yeah. it's more like crossfit, you know, mm-hmm. like not skinny fit, but you know, everything's more like the lean beach body look as opposed to the big giant monster. I think you know? so, yeah. 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 Well that's good. I've always wondered that with like the pressures of what you have to look like or you know, so um yeah, that that was interesting. I mean I think also too, like, you know, especially these younger looking guys also can do really well because, you know, like the stepbrother porn is so big now and the stepson porn. So a lot of times you find that you want to fit into one of two niches, the like young stepson look or like the older stepfather look. Um, and there's more work with the younger stepson look because the stepson stepmom genre is like really big. So, um, yeah. So you know. you, hmm? That's pretty much all you see now, isn't it? Like, you know, like you go on there and it's, it's sort of step on this, step on that, you know, it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, especially yeah. like Corey Chase, you know, that's, that's one of her main ones, isn't it? Corey Chase? Yeah. Corey Chase. Yeah. Like she does a lot yeah. of step stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because she's an, cause she's an older woman. So that's generally the, the niche that you fall into. And also she's very good at it. So. What would you say is like the bit the most popular category then? Is it more like the mill thing or? I believe that the last time I heard, because Pornhub releases like their top 
their top categories every year. And I think MILF was at the top of it. Might have been, or it might have been lesbian, I'm not sure. But MILF is definitely up there. And it's so interesting because, you know, back when I started in the industry, like to get scenes as an, like, once you were past the age of like 27, it was like your career was like done. You know what I mean? Um, and now like women are getting into the industry in their forties and fifties sometimes, and they're doing incredibly well. I mean, the MILF mature woman category has just exploded. I would say that's probably one of the bigger ones for sure. Yeah. So that reminds, going back to, um, what the, the characters on the porn stars are like, you know, as a person in general, you know, would you say that most of them have like like daddy issues? You know, are they like a little bit crazy to begin with? Or because uh, the misconception, I guess, the, the everyday public would have is like you have to be crazy to be want to be nailed on camera in front of ten to fifteen people, or somebody's actually quite intelligent people. Oh my gosh, so many of them are so intelligent. I mean, if you ever have a conversation with like Alina Paul or Akira Noir. Um, these are some incredibly bright women. And, um, you know, I mean, first of all, like, who doesn't have daddy issues? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's less about, like, who wants to be railed on camera by 10 guys, but, like, who can take the stigma that they're going to face for the rest of their lives like who can handle that kind of scrutiny who can handle the possible fallout from making that choice i think it's that more so than like wanting to actually have sex on camera because there's a lot of like exhibition female exhibitionists out there who really like the idea of being watched um and having sex with you know a lot of other basically professionals in a safe environment but they're not willing to, you know, face the wrath of their family being disowned, um, you know, being ostracized by their friends, their community and stuff like that. So I think that's probably the biggest obstacle rather than whether or not they actually like want to be a sexually expressive and free person. Yeah, I guess that makes sense before, but I think again, it's like lack of education with um, to the everyday public of what the porn world is actually like. There's a lot yeah. more to it like I said about it's not just a case of open your legs, get hammered, see you later, bye. There's a lot of planning, logistics, you know, directing, safety. You know, people yeah. have no idea. Yeah. I mean, logistics, like try planning a gangbang if you want to fucking deal with logistics. Like that is, that is <laughs> so much work. It's funny. I interviewed somebody about doing a, uh, like a, I forget what it was. Was it a 10, 50 guy bukkake or hundred guy gangbang or something like that? And my first question was not, you know, how could you do that? How could you have sex with so many people at once? It was like, where did everyone park? Who handled all the paperwork? Oh my God. Like, what about crafty? Did you did, like, did you get a bunch of like individual water bottles or like, you know, the trash, like, <laughs> the logistics the logistics of dealing with all those people it's a lot so you said gangbangs right so what's it like filming a gangbang so I have only filmed three, well maybe two and a half gangbangs 
in my time. And all of them were commissioned specifically by the woman in the gangbang. She was creating a scene for herself that she was going to own. One of them was Joanna Angel, and she was the half one because I only photographed the gangbang. I didn't actually film it. Um, the second one was Riley Reed, and the third one was Lisa Ann. And um, it was a lot of fun because in those cases, you know, they hired like the top tier male talent. So it's all every, I know everyone, right? So like I've worked with all of these guys and like, I, you know, I generally love like all of the people in the industry. Like there's very few performers that I don't like. I really do genuinely enjoy the company of almost all of them. So you know, and I, I'm a very straight woman who, you know, I like men. I like the company of men. So like, you know, hanging out with like 10 hot guys all day. Like that's, that's so much fun to me. I love that shit. It was great when we did Lisa Ann's one. I got to like, she wanted them all oiled up. So I get to like oil them all up because, you know, like she was in makeup and stuff. So I'm like, I'll oil them up. Like, you know what I mean? And we're all joking and, and having fun. Um, yeah, it was a blast. And because, you know, the, the women commissioned these scenes they were obviously into it they were obviously down for it they were in charge they were calling the shots so there was you know in no way did anybody feel victimized or um you know abused or anything like that like it was very it was a lot of fun and if you watch gangbangs like taking a step back you know like behind the cameras it's such an interesting thing because it really is a dance and what's more important than the women liking all of the guys that she's having sex with is the guys liking each other right because they're the one choreographing the scene so they have to all get along and they have to all like kind of be in sync with each other and so if you take that step back you see them, you know, one guy will be in and he'll be looking around for like the next guy who's ready. Cause you know, maybe th this guy over here is still trying to like get his edge a little bit more. And they'd be like, okay, you ready? Be like, yeah, like, okay, come on in. But you don't see those head nods or anything like that because you zoomed in on the girl and the penetration. But it's really interesting to watch because they all really like signal each other. And then you, you've got like the one guy who's usually the anchor if it's like a double penetration. So the anchor is generally the guy who might be underneath the girl he's not doing a lot of the moving. He's kind of like holding her, anchoring her, right? With his penis in her butthole or her vagina, whichever one it is. And then the other guys are coming around and taking turns in the other hole. So like, and that has to be a specifically strong and particular performer because he's not really getting as much of the stimulation, right? He's kind of just holding her in place while these other guys are going at it. So there's, there's a lot to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're generally like the ones that I've shot, like I had a lot of fun. They were a blast. I really enjoyed it. Did you not ever think like, what the hell am I doing here? Man, I've been in this industry for so long. I don't, I don't have those thoughts anymore. I was like, I was more like, oh God, I'm so excited to be here. Like some of my, a couple of my male assistants were maybe like, oh God, this is like not necessarily fun for me, but for me, like I loved it. I fed off the energy, you know, like, like I said, like I, you know, all the guys that are on set. I know them all really well. Um, I enjoy their company. It's just, I had fun. Would you ever do porn yourself? Or is it kind of, you've got your role, that's what you'll stick to, that's what you're known for, so there's no real reason for you to? I don't think I would ever do porn myself. And honestly, for the very specific reason that, like, I just don't feel comfortable having sex on camera. 
Like, I don't even want to film myself having sex on camera for my own enjoyment. Like, I don't like to watch myself have sex. Like, for me, it's not a turn on. I'm not an exhibitionist in that way. Um, I really like to be behind the camera. And I think I also like, you know, to kind of be in that place of, like, controlling the shots um, and producing everything. I don't, yeah, I'm just like, there's a part of me that's, like, too shy for that. So what's like the maddest ever scene you've ever done? Oh, you um, man, that is hard to say. Um, I mean, you know, the gangbangs are probably pretty intense just because it's a lot of people. Um, I mean, I've definitely had like movies that were really hard to shoot just because like, the scenes themselves are really challenging and there was just a lot of logistical, logistical challenges. Um, but in terms of like mad, like crazy, I don't know. I mean, they're all, most of them are pretty normal, like day to day, you know, nothing different, but some of them are pretty, pretty wild. Actually. Okay. So this isn't the maddest, but you know, just trying to think of like something recent. I shot a three girl scene for Twisties with Sheree Deville, Scarlett, I'm blanking on her last name because she's new, and Luna Star. And it was a squirting scene. <laughs> always so much fun because it's so much cleaned up. <laughs> and I'm always worried and I'm shooting on location and I'm always worried, you know, I don't want to ruin the guy's mattress. Right. Like, so I brought like all of these like pee pads that you use for dogs and like put them like over the mattress. Cause I can't put plastic cause it, you hear the plastic. So I put those and then I put like sheets over it and you know, we're shoot and they want this really crazy, like insane, you know, end of squirt scenario, which I'm thinking like, I'm not going to get this. You know, the girl's supposed to squirt across the room and I'm like, this isn't going to happen. This is crazy. And, and Luna star is the, is the, is the girl. And she's like, no, I think I can do it. And I'm like, okay. And so we're filming it and she, dude, she squirts so far across the room. She hits my cameraman, totally drenches him gets it right in the middle of the lens, which actually worked out perfectly because you see like the squirt hit the lens and then like drip down. Um, it's like, it was just a, such a crazy high energy scene. Um, and it was just so much fun. And uh, we just got like, we went above and beyond what they wanted for the shot. And I wasn't sure that we were gonna be able to do it. And you know, my cameraman has been working in the industry for so long. like. He was so happy. He was like covered in squirt and he, but he was so happy he got the shot. He was just like grinning like, ah, you know, like it was just so funny. Cause you think like most guys who get like covered in squirt in a scene, you know, would be like, oh God, I'm all pissed off. But he was just grinning ear to ear. And I don't know, it was just, uh, it was just a really good vibe. It was a very fun scene. Yeah, I bet it was all fun and games until he got home and told the missus what happened. <sighs> I don't think there is a missus, so. I, was, yeah. I think it was okay. And you know what? Like a lot of these guys who've been in the industry as long as he has, he's been in like longer than me, I think. Um, you know, whoever they're with is going to understand. Yeah. Like they had a good day at work. So. so who's your favorite person you've ever worked with? 
Oh my God, that's such a hard question to answer because I really do love them all. Um, it is, you know, I mean, I could give you like my top 10 and I would still leave out like 20 women that I adore. Um, so that's just like kind of an impossible, impossible question. Um, but, you know, I mean, if I could give you a couple of names, I would say like Sheree DeVille, who's one of my really good friends. And I just love her because she's like, you know, type A personality like me. She's always on time. She's super organized. She's really on top of things. Um, she's also an incredible performer and such an amazing dirty talker. The things that come out of her mouth just like never fail to shock me. <laughs> um, I mean, Angela White's like an obvious one. Everybody loves Angela. I mean, she's somebody who truly loves her job. Like that girl is not acting and you see it and you see the way that she really just absorbs her partner and really like draws them in. And um, she's all about them and she loves every inch of them. And, you know, she's just like, and also, you know, she's such a consummate professional and even with all of her fame and notoriety that, you know, she's gained over the years, she's just such a humble, pleasant, wonderful person. She's exactly the same person she was when I first shot her years ago. And I really appreciate that. Um, but you know, I mean, I could go on like there's, I have so many favorites. I just, it would be easier for me to name the people that I don't like, which I'm not going to do. So don't ask me. <laughs> um, but I, I really love working with almost everybody that I get the privilege to work with. So one of the burning questions I've always thought of when you think of like the porn stars and that, a lot of them are like married. How do you get around that? I mean, so it depends. Some of them are married to other people in the industry, right? So they understand. Um, some of them are married to other people who, you know, just really see it as a job and don't care that they're having sex with other people for a living because they understand the difference between love and intimacy and like sex for a living. But, you know, I mean, based on the various interviews I've had with people, like it's, it's tough. You know, dating is one of the hardest things when it, when it comes to being in the adult industry. Um, it's one of the biggest setbacks because a lot of people, you know, have a hard time dating somebody who has sex with other people for a living, which is, again, totally understandable. I'm not going to fault those people for not accepting that. So it's, it's tough. Yeah, I can, I can imagine got three names for you just from okay. preference lisa ann what's she like as a, as a person not just I love, work, but outside of it i love lisa i mean lisa and i have been friends for a long time um she my mom did some of her very first shoots so you know i've i've known her since since i was a kid i guess basically um she's just a consummate professional really you know smart really organized. I'm always like inspired every time I see her um, or spend time with her. I'm always like inspired by her, just her work ethic. And, you know, also like her constant, you know, she's always striving to like grow as a person too, which I really admire. Um, and, uh, you know, she's just so like, she's just so independent and strong. And I really love that about her. Corey Chase. Corey Chase is great. I mean, to be honest, I don't know her incredibly well. I interviewed her once for my podcast and I shot her once for a scene. Um, but, you know, she was awesome. 
again, like consummate professional, very smart, um, you know, really interesting person. So yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the small amount of time that I spent with her. I, I liked her a lot. Last name I got for you, Elsa Jean. <laughs> I love Elsa. I love Elsa because she's just not what you would expect. You know, she looks so innocent and she's got this soft and like, kind of lilting voice and she seems so sweet. But like the things that come out of that girl's mouth, they're just like, they always surprise you. You know what I mean? And she's got a great sense of humor, which I think a lot of people don't realize. And if you follow her on Twitter, you might like read her tweets and be like, this girl's crazy, but she's actually just very funny. And she has a very dry sense of humor. Um, and she's also really sweet. And uh, yeah, I, I love Elsa. She's, uh, she's great. She's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always wondered, like when you see them like, doing their little scenes, you think, oh, I wonder what that's actually like is, is your everyday people. So yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's cool to know. From your experience, there's another thing I thought of as well. Have you ever attracted, like, not well, stalkers or crazy people or like weird people that you kind of worried about you think whoa like yeah i had one i mean honestly not that many um i've had a, a couple of people who got a, a little bit weird on me but nothing like i've never had like anybody show up to my house or anything like that um i did have one guy a long time ago who um this is kind of the beginning of my career too so i think i was more receptive to him than i would be now like i now really kind of try to establish boundaries with fans because i don't want to give them the wrong idea um and he he somehow got my phone number and he called me and he wanted to come visit me and stay with me which i was like absolutely not um and then he told me he was dying and that it was his like last wish to come and meet me. Just like, you know, make a wish. <laughs> and uh, it was like, I, I'm very sorry that you're dying, um, but no. And he got really angry and aggressive about that. And then he ended up showing up at my studio actually. And thankfully he came on a weekend and I don't shoot on the weekends. But he showed up on my studio and called me and was like, hey, I'm outside your studio. Like, hopefully you show up soon. Can't wait to meet you. And I didn't get this because this is before cell phones. So I didn't get this on my answering machine until the following week when I was back at the studio. And by then he'd already flown home. But that was a little bit scary. Um, but that's probably like, that's the worst case scenario that I've ever had. Um, and then like... And then he, you know, and then he was like, oh, well, I'm, I guess I'll die now and you don't care about me and I'm just going to die. And it's like, oh, I'm very sorry. And then, of course, six months later, he like emails me again. He's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh, you're not dead. <laughs> you're dying. <laughs> what happened? So well, you don't pull it with that one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. My well, last question I've got for you. What advice would you give to someone like um, everyday life or, you know, your non-porn star person? dealing with mental health struggles, what advice would you give them to try and overcome it? I mean, I would say, first of all, don't be ashamed to talk about it. Everybody has mental health struggles. And I think we're only finally starting to like identify that now. Um, try to get help, you know, whether or not that means finding a community of people who are also, you know, dealing with 
what you're dealing with, who understand what you're going through, or a mental health professional, or both. I would say definitely, definitely seek help. There's a lot of resources out there where, you know, you can find help for free or for, you know, a cheaper price. Um, I know that in the adult industry, we have something called Pineapple Support, which is our mental health resource. And um, it's a, a organization that, you know, basically we donate money to in the adult industry and then other people. You have to be in the industry to actually access it, but you can access mental health services through that. And I know a lot of performers who see therapists through that. And they say that it's helped tremendously. You know, and just... Um, Recognize that facts aren't feelings and the way that you feel doesn't necessarily reflect like the facts of your life and how your brain can really play some crazy tricks on you. I mean, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'll have five years of sobriety in, in two weeks. And, you know, I went through some really dark times and um, being on the other side of it has given me a lot of compassion for mental health and for other people who are dealing with things because the brain is powerful and it can really talk you into some really awful situations and, you know, a lot of non-truths. And so, you know, there's, there's help out there. There's other people out there that are dealing with what you're dealing with. And the internet is a great resource to find um, other people who understand what you're experiencing and you are not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. Exactly right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Can't thank you enough for, you know, nearly two hours of your time. Huh? So, <laughs> you're welcome. Enjoyed every minute. It's been really nice meeting you. Yeah, you too. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button and also like and share. Thank you.